Praised are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, whose mitzvot add holiness to our life, and who gave us the mitzvah to study the words of Torah. May the words of Torah, Lord our God, be sweet in our mouths and in the mouths of all your people, so that we, our children and all the children of the house of Israel, may come to love you and to study your Torah in its own merit. Praised are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Praised are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all the peoples by giving us his Torah. Praised are you, Lord, who gives the Torah. That's from the uh, Siddur Sim Shalom, the Rabbinic Assembly, United Synagogue of America. I had never read that before. thought it was pretty cool. All right. So, how was, how was the week? Very productive. Productive's good? 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 Mm -hmm. good? This side of the room is good. Exhausting. Okay, that seems to be a regular theme I'm hearing. <laughs> was it profitable? Uh, yeah, sure. It okay. was unprofitable. So. Well, there you mm -hmm. go. So, as long as you're spending and exerting wisely, that works. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, young guys there, everything go good to this week? Mm -hmm. Good, yeah, you sure? Okay, no pressure. And uh, you survived the first week? Yes, yes. And they still want you to come back? Yeah, well, apparently. That's shocking, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Keep faking it till you make it. That's fake it till you make it. All right, lesson 13. What about me? I do want to uh, make a quick comment to those that are listening on the podcast or remotely that um, you can go back and listen to uh, all of the previous 12 lessons. And I have split the study guide into two now. Uh, and I can get the second one even smaller. Um, but it's got a really high-res graphic on the title page. I'll bring that down a little bit so you can get it smaller. But you're moving from 35, 39, 40 meg down to less than 20 meg, so it should at least come down if you're browsing it. The, uh, the link on the uh, Torah Discussions page, the most current study guide for the series what about me is available here. In red? A404. In red? Yes. Mm -hmm. And are you choosing number lesson second page, second one? Part two. So I just downloaded that one. Rock said Oscar Mahina. I know, I just Googled it. It's a military jargon for on the move. <coughs> on the move. That's good. Yeah. Resolved. Thank you. Refreshing the page. Thanks, Carol. Roger, there you go. Yeah, ten, 10 years in the Army. I never heard that Oscar Mike thing. And I was actually using a radio for some of those. He comes up with all these things. All right. <clears throat> Maybe it's a commando thing. Maybe that. You know, if you're wearing the beret and repelling at a helicopter. Or something. Something like that. <laughs> okay, so um, I was really looking forward to getting to this one and getting started in, uh, in the Book of Acts. And um, I don't know how much Holocaust we're going to see for sure, but uh, some of this stuff was exciting to me. And it reminded me that I haven't read this in a while, and maybe some of you haven't seen some of this stuff. So um, let's, uh, let's walk through there. On page seven in the study guide, I'm looking at, uh, you know, that discussion of the Mount of Olives and him going up in the air and all of that. I think that's uh, has more context if you understand prayers and the and the priesthood uh, in Judaism. So, who wants to help the people at the other end of that microphone understand why that's 
what are some of the points that make that significant? Anybody? Nobody. I'm on page seven. It's the one with the seven in the bottom, right there. He's got the big one, the long. Oh, he's got the original one. Oh, yeah. For those on the. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. For those of you on, on last, uh, the last study guide. Yeah, you're gonna want. I'm not gonna update that one, and I pulled out all the new stuff. Just so. a minute. I'm trying to get at it. Yeah. Can you get there under the red? You got part two. Dead silence. All right. So let me help you along. Joshua, help me. What what did the uh, what did the priests do when they gave the ironic blessing? Physically, they put their hands up. They put their hands up. What did the people do? They looked down. Now, why would they do that? It was thought that the physical presence of Hashem rested on the hands of the priest as he gave that blessing. So we're not going to look at that. So we we are averting our eyes there you out go. of reverence. And the, the hands are traditionally in the, well, it looks like the, the spot you know, deal. Spot yeah, thing, right? Actually, it's a sheen. It's a, um, supposed to be the re representation of the name of God. Good, good. So, when you see somebody go like that in their culture, you would immediately put your head down. Look, probably, at their feet. And what happens to his feet, Joshua? Feet splits like their fingers. <laughs> They did. He went up in the air, right? I don't know. Yeah. Mount of Olives. A little baby blind thing going on. What? <laughs> He's lifted up by the other side, right? So that's got to be a shocker. And I think that uh, I think that you don't get the, the, the full import of that if you don't understand how they go about the prayers and the whole thing like that. So um, for those who've been in the, in, the, in the Torah study for a while, maybe you know that. Maybe you've never heard it before, but um, I just think that's pretty cool. I never, I didn't even think about that because yeah. when I, I, the difference I saw between Christianity and Judaism was, I felt like in Christianity there was a lot of closing your eyes and praying. Okay. And then in Judaism, we, we don't, don't really close, close our eyes. eyes. If I'm not closing my eyes. I'm not looking down unless I'm just bored. And right. But they will and honor out of respect. Yeah. yeah. To not not look at what oh, might be fire on the fingertips yeah. and like, yeah, it's just a cool deal so. I, I always think like it's it felt like Yeshua was the same way but even these these uh, two men in the white robes it's like they don't they don't cut the disciples any break like you gotta be fast on your feet it's like it feels like they were maybe looking for like five it's seconds like after you got and they're like what are you guys doing still <laughs> Like get, Wait, keep, move move along. You, like what are you, what are you doing still here? You got another rest Why stop are you still coming up. What? You're just like, did you not just see? <laughs> I mean, like, but but yeah, they I mean they 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 got a mission. So. Yeah, and and I, it was almost like they're like, what's the problem? Where we come from, this happens all the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, it was a good deal, and I yeah. think uh, to me gave it just a little bit um, more authenticity. You know, it wasn't a David Copperfield, he's gone. A little puff of smoke. You know, that's more like sulfur to you. He's gone. You know, that kind of deal. This this seemed more almost legitimate. Like, huh, I remember a cartoon with Charlie Brown and Lucy. I remember Lucy was flying her kite 
And Charlie Brown had already been running and running and trying and pulling his kite behind him. And the kite just won't go up in the air, you know? So he, he just frumph and just leaves it there and don't bother, you know? And he walks up to Lucy and, you know, her kite is so high up there. She's not out of breath. She's not sweating or anything. And he's like, wow. And she reels it in and the kite's only this big. <laughs> so it looked like it was really high. But I was just wondering, how long do you wait before, you know, it's it's UFO type dots and you don't you know what well, the cloud came in from view. So. That must be what it is. Yeah. So you didn't get that that's, high. That's high enough. That's yeah, pretty darn. You get more of that out of Luke's the end of Luke's narrative, right? Than you do from here yeah. in Acts. That's, a little that's more detail. Yeah. The, the, the fact that he raised his hands and you can yeah. infer from there why he raised his hands. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he blessed them. There's your key phrase, mm -hmm. right? So he raises his hand and blesses them, not unlike what we do with our tallits over our families. Good. Okay, so we've got our first halakhic reference in Acts, uh, in chapter 1 and verse 12, as uh, we've got the Sabbath day's journey. So you, you Torah keepers, how far do you travel on the Sabbath? Uh, however long it is to get from my house to here. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I mean you got some mandated travel within the city, right? So you know, that's almost chosen distance. Whereas here they're talking about locals right. group, how far they sure. Well, the travel. key is yeah. the key is ultimately the, the the city boundaries, which from a Jewish perspective, none of us get points for that because right. it's not the city; it has to do with the roof. Exactly. But in that time frame, um, the measurement has to do with if you're inside wall the walls city. of a city, yeah. you can walk anywhere you want. When you get outside the walls, there's a certain amount of distance you can go right. from, from that perspective. As the, if you dig into the, the background on some of that, it's incredibly detailed. It is. And as Tim Hag points out in the article that I, I quoted from, there's no set measure. You can't look and say, a Sabbath day's journey is this long. Because it depends on where you live, the agriculture, the community that's already set up whatever may be necessary for you to go a distance. So, um, what's, what's the deal? Yes. Um, when the men are on the road to Emmaus. Yes. Um, not the Sabbath. That, that makes, oh, it wasn't? Oh, okay. I thought it was. Because the master had already risen. So it was on the first day of the week that he rose. So it's Sunday afternoon on the first day of the week. But does it, doesn't it mention a Sabbath day journey or something? I don't think it does in that one because it wasn't a Sabbath. Okay. But um, I think there's other halakhic questions, you know, I think you and I have talked about before. We are surely still in the week of, of Passover. And first day and last day, you've got to be there in Jerusalem. There was some leniency being given for some of the other holidays, but for Pesach, as far as I can understand, it was, you're there for the whole week, but be there. Um, so what's, what's the takeaway here in Acts about this reference? Who is it that we're in a Sabbath day journey? It's the disciples, right? Yeah. So, what's, uh, somebody got that one? Maybe I can find it quickly here. Acts chapter 1. 12. 112, yeah. Yeah, I got it. Somebody got it? Anybody? Before my Apple Watch unlocks my Mac. 
they then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. Got it. So we've got 11 disciples. Hmm. And they're returning. Is it before the master left? The words is what? Is it before the master left? After the after master. After. It's after the master left. So we would think that they're doing something consistent with what the master would do, that there hasn't been any dramatic change in their lives. So why is it significant that we had a Sabbath day's journey mentioned? It <laughs> raises questions about an important element of Shabbat halakha that's otherwise somewhat difficult to determine. The okay, so the just give me that in English now. Okay, so you have the manna situation in Exodus, right? The manna comes down, people just do gather and gather. They go out on Shabbat to go gather. God's not happy with that. Stay in your place. And his response is, "Stay in your place." All right. So you're you're one step ahead of me. Why are we talking about? It? It's just demonstrating that observance of the Sabbath customs were still in practice exactly. after the Master left. Exactly. Now, what they were and where they came from, I want to talk about, but it's important that evidently they weren't going a Sabbath day's journey, which we read about earlier in the Gospels that the Master did. But they're not going a Sabbath day's journey or limiting themselves to that in this case because they're with the Master or because it was the Master's custom it's their custom, mm -hmm. and they're following that. Now, that was the halakha for that day. I guess, especially in the next lesson, um, we're going to be you know, addressing that question of, when did the church start? Right? I mean, we, we all, most of us, grew up in the church, so when did the church begin? <laughs> most people would say, in, in Acts either at the cross, that's the normal response, or, because I don't think we can go with when he died because he rose, so that's sort of like a, I mean, it, it's like a balk in baseball, right? So, that was for you guys. Um, so did it, did it begin maybe in Acts chapter 2 with the pouring out of the Spirit? I don't know. But the question would be, why are they still doing the Holocaust? Why are they acting like Jews. What's the best answer for that? They are. They are Jews. That's, yeah, they are Jews. Um, but we, we're going to read in the next week's lesson that, you know, we've got a bunch of proselytes here, including one of the, the uh, disciples that is chosen as, uh, as a deacon. He's, I mean, he clearly, it says he's a, he's a, a proselyte from Antioch. So, um, so what's your, what's your holocaust when it comes to Shabbat? I mean, when you drive to Florida on Shabbat, Will you drive to Gastonia? No. Kings we, Mountain. I mean, Harris Teeter. Definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely not. Way not. too far. Yeah. We. Yeah. I mean, I. I think the only exception for driving on Shabbat is to to be with community in some way. Okay. So it's it's the purpose, not the distance. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so the, the, so if your right. community of Bellator start meeting at say Aunt Lynn's house. Mm -hmm. Which is an easy we, hour drive. We went more. down there. We went down there for 
piano concerts, bar mitzvahs. Yeah, okay, the sure. So that would be that would be okay. a purpose because we're all going to pray. We're going to right. bless right. So the God. Community, community in, at least in our community, community trumps that that distance. So I'm community talking about travel. it's off Shabbat. It's an off Shabbat for Bella Torah. How far will you travel? And I'm, I mean, even walking. I mean, if, if you're really into it, mm. Mr. Wright. So on the question on what you just said about driving, um, are we measuring it in like distance and like in like time? Like, what can you do in a day? So we, would it be acceptable to drive all the way to Florida to be with community if you're doing it in a day? Are you asking me for um, my halakha? Well, I'm just I'm just posing the question because you're asking a similar question, but it's in reference to here. Into this area specifically, but yeah. I so but what I well, I think it's impossible for you to drive on the Sabbath all the way to Florida for community because by the time you got there, the Sabbath would be over. Okay, once you started right. really early, well, even if you start really early, I mean that's going to be tough. I, on I mean, Fridays, tough. yeah. I tell you. <laughs> um, well, let me let me tell you my halakha, and yeah, buying the gas is a biggie. So maybe one tank's worth is all we're going to go. So we've we've already got a limit on, Depends on, on our distance. Got. That's great. Hey, you're, um, if you're a Tesla, you're making that in North Carolina. If, if my, if my, uh, if my, uh, if my mode is for getting away, date time, vacation time with my wife, our practice has been we leave on Friday to arrive wherever we're going before Friday at sundown, before candlelight. Um, even when Peter and I went camping, we would leave and so that we had enough time to drive to wherever we were going, which at times was a haul, you know, back into Tennessee, and then hike from the car to wherever our campsite was going to be for candlelight. And at Can't that point, your, and you, set up your tent. And set up the tent. <laughs> and start your fire and if you're going to have a Actually fire. start the fire first, and then set up the thing. They're carrying a fishing. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's 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 our halakha. So, I, I guess we can safely say, because I didn't mean to put you guys on the spot, I'm just curious about where you're coming from here. So it sounds like aside from a um, community gathering, there needs to be some sort of purpose for that. And, Not a and what's the difference? The purpose of Torah study. But what's the difference fundamentally between your question and a Christian response and that question and an Orthodox Jewish response? Well, Orthodox Jewish wouldn't be asking the question. Exactly. Why not? They already have the answer. And it's not just a halakhic answer globally for Orthodox Jews. Wouldn't they already have the answer because they already live within a community? And the community has set their minhag. Although the not necessarily. Actually, interestingly enough, this question got raised one time. I was looking online about this issue, and uh, or a similar issue, and someone asked about riding bikes on Shabbat, which is also prohibited by most rabbis. Although there are, I think there's one in like Babylon way back when who said it was okay. The point is that um, uh, this one person asked the question: Hey, I'm too far away from the Chabad house. Can I ride my bike to? The house in order to get there in time for prayers, whatever else, and the response back was no, you can't because it would be defeating the purpose to go ride your bike to, according to Orthodox tradition to break Shabbat in order to be there for Shabbat. Obviously, our community takes a different perspective on that. Well, our community is not Orthodox, and they're not. Orthodox. My point is that Jews don't ask these kind of questions. 
because they have an authority structure that's laid out so that we understand the Holocaust and the Minhag for the community. That's the role, that's their job, is to say, okay, I'm a leader of the community, this is what we're gonna do, because we've agreed that this is appropriate and provides an of defense and yada, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Whereas in Christianity, and unfortunately in the Messianic movement, we don't have that. So now... And you make a justification for it if it fits your needs. So we want to make a justification. Normally in Bellator, we want to try and make that justification as a community and leaving the, the men up to the, their own devices without trying to get to the point where every man is doing whatever is right in his own eyes. I'll be the guinea pig. Okay. What's the difference between driving here on Shabbat to be with you guys and driving to Florida on Shabbat to be with my family and my wife's family? Yeah, I, I, are you asking me? Are I'm just asking, asking I'm just posing that. I would actually, so. Because to me that's different, different than going I think on a, vacation. But I think a lot of what Judaism would do is be prepared so that that doesn't actually arise. Well, you do it before Shabbat. Right. So that you, so you take all measures. Your parents, like not cooking and cook because you prepare prior to. or Exactly. That would be my response. That was what I was and I would say to. they're not a member. This is, like, this is your community. This is like That's a your family. Set so time so here. Vacation. Right. Whereas like family time could, be, could happen before and after and in between and all of that, you know? And if it's a reunion or if it's something that's, oh, somebody's getting married, then... You already know in advance. Yeah, so emergency yes. to be there, which that would we would say probably an emergency, family emergency would trump other things if it's a health issue or whatever. Sure. So, mm -hmm. all right. So, you know, my my goal in this class is not to make you second guess your Holocaust, but that you would have some minhag for your family. Because if I try to get my terminology right there, I, you know, we're not setting Holocaust, but uh, you know. the, I just. To, to add to that, yeah. I think a lot of us in the community would rethink our our approach if like Bellatora basically didn't meet because unless somebody was already like in the area or something like that. Well, like, you yeah. know, like like literally, if you guys if out, of, out of that, if you know, if, if a bunch of uh, like you, yeah. Mister Up, and everybody was like, you know what, like we're not going to drive anymore on Shabbat, yeah. and if we just happen to like be staying with you or something like that, then, yeah. then I, that would definitely change my approach. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, on, I think by, on the first... By, like, right now, yeah. right now, like, one of my... Well, the reason that I, I feel okay about doing what we just described, where it's like, okay, well, the community and, and like, praying together and Torah trumps leaving your place and driving, the only reason that I, I feel, like, kind of okay with that is just because, like, the community as a whole is okay with that. Like, that's the only reason we have a community. Right, that's exactly. Because every, of but the, every it, one of the men said, I'm, I'm going to do that yeah, in order to be there. But I, I think the first and third provides the alternative. And if we look at what you or I do on the first and third, it, that's a determination on where we are with that, with that minhag, right? Um, going out for a joyride right. just doesn't appear to be appropriate. We're not talking about keeping the Sabbath now with a Sabbath day's journey walking, because they wouldn't ride anything. Now we're talking about, you know, will you will you drive a car? Okay. Oh, will you sure. drive a car if you're not going to the community? Mm -hmm. yeah, Those kind of things. And you know, would I really schlep to your house for prayers on foot 
would yeah. he have his pregnant wife I wish walk to your house? Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you're in Sparks. It's in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep moving on. Does, uh, other comments there? Um, I can actually walk here from our house. You can. You can. I've actually ridden my bike past your house, waved. You never waved back because you weren't outside. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of yeah. the tricky ones that I'm just thinking about, if you're talking about driving, granted, it is <clears> technically <throat> within the city, I suppose, sort of, um, is the issue of. Um, work on a Friday night because I mean especially in the middle of winter I have an hour commute so I try my best to be in my car and heading home before Shabbat but I'm never home before Shabbat begins yeah, yeah. I feel your pain do you? Yeah. <laughs> do you? I mean, he almost has to walk across the hall to get to his yeah. dinner table. Yeah, across that Footy pajamas! You bring up a good point. And, and I think that, um, you know, we make sacrifices in the Minhag and Halakha as, as little as we can. You know, it's, it's tough. It's even tough for me to say to a customer, you know what? It's 4.15, or it's 4 o'clock in the wintertime, and I've got at least 20 minutes of prep that I have to do before the Sabbath begins, and candlelighting's at 4.37. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm done. You shouldn't have got me on the phone. I'm sorry this took so long. Touch on Monday kind of thing. Or, or you're in the middle after of something. Sunday, after that on Sunday, like Saturday. That. Right. So emergencies are one thing, but having to, having to drive on the Sabbath simply because you didn't get off of work early enough. I get it. You know, and it's a it's a sacrifice that for at least three or four weeks is or maybe even longer, five or six weeks, is gotta happen. Hmm. Unless you can work from home on Fridays. Tried that one. That, it's hard, yeah. Cool. Good. Other comments? So I highlighted on the next page, in the middle of uh, Tim Hegg's comment, that his point was that Yeshua appears to conform to such halakha in spite of the fact that it's not specifically detailed in the written Torah. For, for folks that are uh, still uh, practicing and attending in, in, the, in the local churches, that should be noteworthy. That should be something that, that people would take take to heart to say, well, hang on now. He, he didn't just keep the written Torah. He kept certainly some of the I guess what we would consider the oral Torah. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we saw in the Gospels he did quite a bit more than that. So, okay. So, um, so let's switch gears talk about the upper room. How many of you... Uh, you know, growing up, we're told that, you know, the, the apostles were, were pretty much afraid. They kind of locked themselves in this upper room, and they're just praying and, and chatting about all the events that have happened over the past three and a half years. Wow, this is really weird. Oh, my goodness, you see the way his feet went up in the air? Holy cow. And a uh, big rushing wind, and the thing starts to shake, and everybody, everybody, like 70, 80 people or representatives of different nations hear that while they're in this little room, they hear the word of God in their own languages, and and then you know three thousand souls were added that day. 
So 3,000 souls evidently fit in this little tiny upper. How many of you heard that? And is that basically the way you're, yeah, that's, I mean, it seems kind of weird, but as you read through it now, you should have seen. There's you're, you're missing the uh, that the upper room had a balcony that people <laughs> right. speak the, from. The queen comes and out, and waves, the, uh, yeah. And that the, it was also large enough to fit not only the 11 disciples, but also various century women and other people, so that it was an actual event. That's right, and thousands of thousands of guys. Yeah, so um, I think we missed the timing marker that you've got about two weeks um, between the upper room deal that uh, that's read about when they select uh, Mattathias. Is it Mattathias? Is that, mm-hmm. is that the guy? Um, boy, he had a big role after this, huh? Um, <laughs> and uh, and then they go to the temple, which was their regular custom. So, um, well, this day it would have made sense to be at the temple, um, particularly early in the morning. Uh, interesting. There's an, it is a cool tradition today. I don't know if it would have been true then. But, okay. So the tradition today for Shavuot is to stay up all night studying Torah. Mm-hmm. And if you're in Jerusalem now, uh, the end of that study time concludes with a mass gathering at the Western Wall, the hotel, for morning prayers. And then as you're, everyone's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an event. It's not just like, oh, look, you know, 4,000 of my friends happen to be here at the same time as me. It's more like... <laughs> and it's um, literally that kind of a number. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, or more. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's you full. sent me pictures or videos or something the last time you did that, didn't it's, you? It, um, it's not as full as, like, the the, the beer fountain going in and things. Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, we probably talk at thousands of people. Yeah. And they, um, but the Chabad people show up and they're handing out breakfast to people as people are leaving. You know, it's it's an ordeal. It's, an, it's yeah. like this, an event. Cool so if you imagine things similar here, just hypothetically... Let's say Zip is staying up all night studying Torah. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, which means it's time, time for, prayers. for prayers. They're in the temple. They're doing the prayers. You know, maybe they've just finished the prayers. And before they go home and, you know, conk out for a few hours, all of a sudden there's a mighty rushing wind. It makes sense why there's people there yeah. at that time in the morning. Yeah. It makes sense why the disciples are already there. Um, and it's a holiday, so it's going to be a time for the offerings and whatnot as well. So you would have been at the temple at that time regardless. Amen. There it is. Amen. So everybody there in some way, shape, or form witnessed this event. Um, many heard the word of God in their um, language. Um, I'm just curious. Who's... Who's talking? Go ahead, Josh. Um, about the upper room. Is yes. this the same upper room that Yeshua and his disciples had their Pesach in? I think it was a different room. I, I don't think there's any evidence to... it's the same. I don't think there's any evidence it was a different one. Um, it would be curious if it didn't mention, and they went back to that same upper room they were in, Two months ago. I don't. I would say no. But I just think how cool it would be if it was the same room. You almost think they would specifically. I mean, they went to so much trouble to say, "Oh, this is this room, this guy." Mm-hmm. Almost like they. Yeah, they would say, and Sam opened his house one more guy. time. That same guy <laughs> happened. To, yeah, you know, carrying the water. Well, jet. I mean, I meant the other way. That if they went to a different room, they'd be like, "Oh, and this other guy we knew," whereas. They oh, yeah, I get where you're coming they, from. They didn't okay. mention it was again. They just said, oh, we were back in the room. Like, clearly, yeah, we yeah. said this before. Don't yeah, say it's the other room, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. By the way, they're not there now in, the, right. in Acts chapter 2. 
They're not in the upper room. There's they no are, way. That's logistically right. There's no way. They're in the temple. That so, so everybody witnessed this stuff. So I want to tag on the witness for a second because that was that was the key thing for Mattathias, right? We got you know we need twelve guys. I don't know why they do, but we need twelve guys. Now we've only got eleven. I mean, we it's like the Supreme Court. We got to have one more guy. So yeah, this would be this would be horrible. So let's fix this. Let's draw straws and, and, and pick a guy. So, and the lot fell to Mattathias. There was one prerequisite. What's that thing again? He had to be a witness of the resurrection. They wanted someone who was there from the beginning, but he had to be a witness of the resurrection. Fast forward, Revelation, we've got the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and it's described with 12 foundation stones and 12 gates. Each gate is, I think, a pearl, right? One solid pearl. That's a big pearl, right? <laughs> One solid pearl. And on each gate is the name of the 12 tribes. 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 12 foundation stones are named for the 12 Disciples or apostles. That's exactly right. Well done. So which one would they put on? You know, Micah, that is exactly what I was wondering. So I've got three choices. What are the three choices for the 12th guy? Number one. The 12th guy. It was a guy. There's no question. It was a guy. guy. It was a guy. 12th guy. Let's give me one, one option. Who could it be? Well, it depends on... Just give me one name. <laughs> I'm guessing it would be uh, Yehuda, the Iscariot. The first guy, Yehuda, could be. Option two. Well, since Yehuda betrayed Yeshua, I would have guessed it would be Matthias. Matthias. Who's the third option? Honorary oh. apostle. An honorary apostle. I was going to say Shaul. Shaul, sure. Paul. Now, does Paul, I mean, I think if you ask anybody in the church, they're going to say it's Paul. He was the one born out of season. Does he meet the requirements that they had for this guy? Paul witnessed the resurrection. Was he there from the beginning? No. Did he witness the resurrection? Very unlikely. Really? Unlikely. Really? He could have been there, I guess, but not from the Well, wait. What was the scene at the base of the cross? Just name some things that you recall from the scene at the base of the cross. Call the movie. Grass. The movie's good too. Stone. Soldiers were there. Number one. Oh, women. There were women there. His mother for sure. The first scene I think of is the centurion at the bottom. There's a centurion, at least one. And you got the guys that are, are doing the, uh, the casting lots for the robe. What John. else? John. What's that? John. And John, you know, behold your mom. You know, yeah, okay. Anything else? Anything else? There's one more thing. Big. Two criminals on the side. Got it. Two dead guys. Okay. <laughs> Two dead guys. <laughs> oh, they're not? Wait. <laughs> uh, well, there was the guy in a trench coat. Sure a guy in a trench coat? No, the guy in a trench coat. The guy who took care of the truest body. Okay, Joseph of Arimathea and uh, Nakdimon or Nicodemus. Um, I don't think they were there necessarily. It doesn't mention that. But there was some other Jewish leaders there. 
It could have been the kind of thing where it's like... There were, there were people, right, mm-hmm. that were wagging their heads at him. And specifically, we know that the Jewish leadership, many of them came by and jeered at him. Now, I would be willing to, to play the bet that Shaul could have been as a part of that. One has to question, though, that's not the resurrection. That's the death. Mm-hmm. But, it's the, but he saw oh, the, the resurrection is a red dead master. Right. And I felt sleight of hand on that one. Did, right? So I had you going down this path, but that's not the resurrection. So I thought we were going to go with Mary, the mother of Yeshua, there for a second. <laughs> did Shaul see. <laughs> that's a different religion. Did, Shaul, <laughs> did, did Paul see the resurrected Messiah? Yes. Well, if he had, yes. if he had, you'd think, why does he need God talking to him later to convince him that was he God talking to him? Yeshua, he sees a vision of Yeshua. He sees a vision, so he did see. Why would he need that if he had seen the resurrection? No, but I'm saying that is. But the, the point is, he saw the resurrected Messiah. So, was he there from the beginning? Well, sure, he's been studying and evidently dealing with this sect. I do feel like though that Matthias. He's, he's selected for a reason. It's actually very interesting that the apostles find it necessary to add him to the group. Well, They're obviously okay they read Revelation and know they need 12 names. Well, yeah, right? Well, it's funny because they actually quote a psalm saying that they, he should be replaced. Place, so they yeah. actually place should be given to make an effort to come up with a reason for adding him. I, I, I don't think that that would be good not. Okay. The method is interesting, too. It's actually really cool. Like praying and then casting lots. You know, the casting lots thing. That's why I play chess. (laughs) That's interesting because casting lots, um, it's definitely not this because they didn't have it, but it harkens back to the um, Urim and Tumim that the priest would use, which is a similar concept. I mean, God speaks through it, but it's sort of like a, um, uh, it's not a lot type system, but I mean, it's saying it's like, it's a, I don't know how to describe that. Funny lights. Yeah, something <laughs> being directed by a physical. I've got event. red and red. We're go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then of course Jonah has the lots. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a, yeah. a couple other places God too. So through. God speaks through the casting of the lots. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, no. I haven't made the decisions. How many of you have actually myself. been elected an elder or deacon by lots? No, no one. Okay, just check. Yes, I'm sorry. What? You know, this is a rabbit trail, but okay. about the whole thing about whether or not Paul or Shaul, whatever you want to call him, was there. Yeah. So where was Gamaliel at the time? Because if he was studying with him, he'd probably be. Exactly. And that's why I say that, you know, he clearly was aware of this temple sect and what was going on, because Gamaliel was very knowledgeable of what was going on as well. Um, later on, we see that Saul actually sides with the Sadducees rather than the Pharisees, which he was one of in order to go persecute those that were following the way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, he obviously was aware whether or not he's the 12th one. Does it, do you, did any of you get the, the travel brochure yet for, for the New Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. If you get that in the mail, that'll just look, get, you know, it'll be... Change your life forever. It might, yeah, especially if you figure out where you got it. Okay. <laughs> and also, if, there's a, if there are a couple pills in there, you might want to give the creeped out. Talking about the blue or the red pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that situation with the brochure. Yep. Down the rabbit hole we go. All right, so um, so there's two 
definite articles I'd like to bring out tonight. Is that the other one? Is that, is that in there? It's uh, in next there. Week. So, hmm. Hang on. Bring this fast forward. I can hear the gears clicking. <laughs> I think there's only one tonight. I think there's one next week. Okay, so we can look at the definite article just to make sure um, they were in the place. I saw I gave that in uh, Acts chapter two and verse one. Um, they were in the place, the temple. They were in the house. Okay, and um, witness seems to be a real big deal there five times. And actually, the the place is is, is the euphemism in Hebrew for the temple. It's literally called Hamakom, which is and, the place. And and he is. Also addresses that as well, right? In, in the prayers that we do for someone who loses someone, right? right? Article. Same kind of deal. Did they call it that? Because that's what uh, that's what God said. When he said this is the this place. This is the place where I'll put my name. I will listen to your hear your prayers and all that. Okay, so I got Luke describing the audience that he preaches to, and he does. He describes four groups of people. Anybody write those down? I wrote them down. Okay, good. Good, it's helpful. Brothers was one of them. No brothers, no brothers. What? No. no. Apparently you and I disagreed on what we're looking for. It, either that or, or you get a conversion. Or the short-term memory loss. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Five different groups. Yeah, fine. All right, so I, I'll give them to you if you don't have them handy. Three groups of people. Four groups. Men of Israel. He, he's got one group, four different ways he describes them. Oh, oh. Which one of them? Uh, bewildered. Bewildered. No, 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 no. What is it? Jerusalem Jews. Yes, um, Jews, uh, men of Israel. He calls them, and then he's got Jews and proselytes as a as a uh, group. We got two more there. So I got men of Israel. Men of Judea. Men of Judea is the third one. That's exactly right. So we've got men of Israel, that's the whole deal. Or maybe that's a religious context. We're to join ourselves to Israel, not necessarily to Judaism, right? Men of Judea, that's outside. Men of many nations. Men's of, I did grab that one because, you know, it was just to kind of describe it. But I, I, thought, I saw the Jews and proselytes thing I thought was great. But he opens up, I think, by calling them devout. Right? So they're mm -hmm. devout men. So we've got devout men of Israel and Judea who are Jews and proselytes. So who's he talking to generically? Everybody. A mixed Jews. Multitude. A mixed multitude, but basically he's describing Jews. And proselytes at the time are considered, were considered Jews. Right. Right. So he's basically addressing his, his deal to Jews. Which is exactly what the master did. So, quick question though. So, like in Acts two eleven, it does say both Jews and proselytes, which doesn't sound like they're considered the same thing. Well, well they're they were still considered different. Yeah. Right. Like they are today. Right. But they're non-Jews. They're born non-Jews. Okay. But they. But he's seems to be describing them. He doesn't say, "I've got pagans." You, you pagans. Right. Or Greeks. You right. heathens. It's you Greeks, things. right. And right. But this is how uh, this is how the audience described them, not how 
Kiefer described. Them. You're exactly Jews right. And proselytes. That's right. And not only that, where did we just decide he is? They're not going to get into the temple unless unless they've gone through the mikvah. Now, where they can stand, Jewish conversion, right? Where they stand, whether they're in the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, or the court of the men, and so forth, that is you can determine what Israel sees them as. But they've got to be devout men to just go up to the Temple Mount. You know, your your flaming pagan's not going to get there, right? Or want to. We'll probably want to, yeah. Yeah. Good, okay. So, quick question. Yeah. When, when I was, uh, you know, this was the passage that we read in your class, Joshua, about the Holy Spirit, Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just interesting, because this is the first time that I kind of, like, because of that class, I kept thinking of it so future tense when we were talking about it. And then he definitely, like, quotes it right here. Most of it. Yeah, yeah, most of it, right? But then it's like, what's interesting about it, though, is, like, only part of this really happened. Right. Um, and so this was like the first example, I guess, that I've seen of like kind of breaking apart a prophecy that way. Almost right? into a, a near and far fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. Because, it, I mean, it, there isn't any indication that some of the other stuff, like the sun turning dark and the moon, you know, like it's, it, it, there's no indication that that happened. We definitely don't. Well, we that, know the sun did turn dark, but. Oh, right, right here. Well, for uh, six hours cross. at the cross. Oh, right. Yeah. Right? Just, I'm just okay. saying. Yeah, that's true. There, that's there's right. other it's, stuff, though, that clearly yes. has not happened. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's so interesting, though, because you, if you were listening to him quoting this passage, I just don't, I think I was putting myself in the in their shoes and thinking, this would have, I, I would be thinking, this Chill is bumps. it. Like, Chill bumps, yeah. It says, before the day of the Lord comes, as if, like, that's tomorrow. Not like, and, you know, it'll be a couple thousand years before that happens. Yeah. Which I, is, I mean... I think we're going to find in the epistles that that theme or concept or mindset that he just left about two weeks ago and his bus arrives in 14 minutes. I mean, it's, it's imminent. The day of the Lord is upon us, is in, every, in all throughout the epistles, is you, the life you lead should be so holy and awesome because do you want to be ashamed of this coming? No, no, no. Will he find any faith? Come. It's all talking about as if he were going to come back later today. Well, it's nice. Because it was written to that specific audience. It wasn't intended in in the original writing for people living 2,000 years later. That's exactly right. We get its benefit. But we weren't the, the original the intended, intended audience. And that's where Greg Upham was coming from weeks ago, <clears throat> saying, had they just believed, he would have been ushered in the kingdom at that point. You got you, then that was it, and then you. There's actually evidence that that is what the apostles had believed exactly, because in chapter 3 of Acts... What, that he was about to come? Well, not just about to come, but why he was about to come. Chapter 3 of Acts, um, Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. This is verse 19 yeah. and in 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, Yeshua. So the idea was they saw it the same way that Judaism sees it today. If the people of Israel repented, Messiah, Messiah would, come would come back like that. Yeah, so exactly in their minds, it was imminent only yeah. because... And doable. Yeah, because it was an act, like the, the people in effect were the, the, the mechanism, the vehicle to get the whole process going. Right, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. 
really really helpful perspective like I when Mr. Opa made that comment several classes back it just started unlocking a lot of things that were gray before I think yeah but yeah reading it that way it, it helps a lot but one question I had was like now that we're in this day and age looking back reading this passage can can prophecy work that way where it's like you sort of have one piece of it but not the other because it's the the first thing that this specific prophecy says is in the last days so then all this stuff about the spirit falling and prophesying and all that that they are thinking is being fulfilled at that time yes would technically be tied to the in the last days quote from the, the passage I think but since we know now that it wasn't it is, the last days. well actually i would argue that i believe throughout the apostolic scriptures in every one of the epistles i would say just about every one of them but maybe galatians the last days is referenced as being in the days that they wrote. And I think that as we read the scriptures today, we should believe that those last days are from the cross or Acts or whatever you will, from the resurrection until he comes again. So you've got the former days to the Messiah, and then you've okay. got okay. the last days from the Messiah to the Messiah. Okay, that, actually, that's helpful. Isn't there also, and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there a similar concept in Judaism where they talk of the days of Messiah? Yeah. But it's not necessarily like the literal days of Messiah, it's like the era in which, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like that time it's period prepped, we're ready, generically. Kind of thing, yeah. And that every generation in, in some of the, is hastening his coming. In some of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's letters, he refers to like now. As yeah. that time. Hayom. Mm -hmm. Is the, the yeah, era of the whole book. Hayom, yeah. Right, yeah. Good. And yes, sir. If uh, a day is a thousand years, which we see sometimes, you'd have to have at least two, right? Yeah. For it to be sure. days. Sure, days, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. Two days yeah. deep, here we are. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, in 239, we've got three distinct groups. That's different, I think, from what I just asked you as um, Peter begins. So I wrote down, Jews, proselytes, all who are far off, and all whom the Lord calls to himself. So are non-Jews like us included in one of those three groups? Four groups. Jews, non-Jews don't count. Proselytes, all who are far off, how does Ephesians chapter 2 go? Wouldn't the proselytes count because they were converted? They did convert. Somebody got Ephesians chapter 2? Those who are near and those who are far off? Yeah. To what verse? Just the first verse? I'm thinking the first nine verses talk about how I was in such desperate, deep weeds. But God, with his great mercy with which he loved us, yeah. did what? Great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come he may show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Right. So, so now, verse 13. what I started was where you should end. So from 2-1... That you're where I at started a, quoting. You're looking at verse 13. 13. Where did you start? Where I did I start? I started uh, middle of verse 4. 
4. Yeah, verse 13 says, But now Messiah Yeshua, you who are once far off, yeah, yeah, yeah. have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. What's this? I had that backwards. I thought it was in the first one. Yeah, I would have thought so too. But yeah, no. So we got to read Ephesians a little closer. Mm -hmm. Good, so... We'll get there. So we, yeah, we're gonna get there. Yeah. So we are the ones who were far off, and when he said that, you were far off, right? Okay. And all all those whom the Lord calls to Himself. So this is in thirty nine. Yes. Okay. So in the version that I have. Yes, I love your version. For the promises for you, the people He's talking to, and for your children. Next generation. Generation with the same people. I like that. And for all who are far off. Which seems to be Gentiles. Non Jews, I would say. No, yeah. Uh -huh. Comma. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. To me, the, that last phrase is the. No, I, I took that as. The oh, two combining the two groups. Right. Oh, this is group one. This is group two. Mm -hmm. But you are all. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Nice. Yeah, that works. Mm. Yeah. Cool. All right. We uh, we are we are cruising. Three thousand souls were added that day. To what were they added? I put nada. Not noda, but nada. Nothing. Verse 41. What's it say? And about 3,000 souls were added that day. To what? I like that it says added to their number. And Matthias was also added to their number. Okay. Mm -hmm. Verse 47. I got a different... Adding to the greater number of... Disciples, I guess. Okay. Well, it's born out in 47. What's 47 got? Those who are being saved. Those who are being saved. Yeah. So that's, it's your point, exactly what you're looking at. So what do you call those people who are being saved? In the parentheses, being saved. The runners no, of the race. Quotations, yeah. The runners of the race. Runners of the race, okay. Yeah. I mean... According to Peter's, yeah, well, according to Peter's fantastic sermon, it's those that repent and believe that Yeshua is the Son of God. Good. I like it. I like it. He actually, in next week's lesson, uh, in chapter, uh, I'm going to say, six, four, it's probably four, chapter four, he actually, maybe four and six. It had to be five. <laughs> That's right. Five is, you know, you got people dying in fives. I don't think it was. But anyway, in, in somewhere between four and six, um, he actually uses a phrase two times in there and says what they're being added to or to what they're being added. And it's used later on in chapter 11, Max. So you'll see that next week. So for now, it's being added to those who are being saved. saved. Well, it's, it's actually added to their number. Their, well, that's where we were taught mm -hmm. came from. Their number, mm -hmm. right? So we've got a number of people who are being saved, and we're adding to that number. Because he mentions that in forty-seven, those well, who that, are yeah, being that's saved. What, that's what forty-seven says. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, 
those who, who are being, being saved. saved. Right. So there's a number. You're starting out with a number of people. And to oh, you're that presupposing num a number to that before number, the three thousand. Or is this the second group? No, this is the second reference. Let's say so. Would you say that the number so was the three thousand? No, oh. I'm saying the number is the core group. Prior to the three thousand. Prior to the three thousand. The three thousand were added to, and then the later the four thousand were added to, and then these num these yeah, whatever numbers were added. Right. So I take yes. the number as the core group of Yeshua's disciples, okay. those who were following him while he was here. Oh, I would, and, I would argue. And, I would argue that. Yeah. Those who followed him while he was here? And afterwards, of course. I would argue. Abraham. Saw sure. his day and sure. rejoiced. Sure, yeah. Right? Right. So yeah. this, this blows apart the argument that the church began at the cross mm -hmm. or at, at the resurrection. Mm -hmm. If we've got this core number, because we see later on, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, always has been, and they're even mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. I get you right after I get you. Is that what you, you yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because of how important that verse was, I was kind of thinking about what does that number look like because of the context of this study. I just kept it, thinking like... It's not L-I. Right. Well, yeah, but just But I've been staring at thinking, that all weekend. Well, yeah, so thinking... Thinking about it, like it's easy to to just write it off as like, oh yeah, for sure, the, the disciples of Yeshua. So you get but twelve, like, twelve no, no, plus actually, no minus one. What we know about these guys are they're they're Jews. Okay. They're praying in the temple every single day, mm -hmm. and they they did follow Yeshua, but then they're like teaching other Jews. Like these are like teachers, right? So what's just what's so cool is like the definition of the added to the number is like mm -hmm. added to this core group of Jews that were like really acting like Jews it was like these were like the Jewish of the Jews Good. out of this core right, yeah. and that's what was getting added I to. like that I like that I think it's important to remember that the only people that would be standing there hearing Peter are those that were obedient to the Torah to go up to Jerusalem mm -hmm. which was arduous to begin with but they were doing it mm -hmm. and it seems the only reason they were doing it is because God said so. I got you, right up, you, right after you. So those who are being saved, I... I are you talking about the number now, which we're, you know, we're no, part no, of the number? number? We're talking about the, the phrase. Um, I don't know that necessarily I would use it as a category to refer to people of God. I think that it's, I think if you reference the term saved in the same chapter, Peter uses it in talking about being saved from this perverse generation. Saved as a... Um, as a group doesn't really isn't really up until this point like a biblical concept except for saved from exile saved from people attacking you saved so and so forth. from their sins um i don't know that that phrase is used at this point is it it might be i don't know the point you that mean, I'm trying you're, to get are you talking is, about in tanakh yeah but no the point though is just that in this particular Repent. phrase i'm thinking i'm thinking this reminds me of i guess what i'm trying to get at is those who are being saved may not necessarily need Apostles plus three thousand plus uh, etc., but almost more like the people that are coming in are that group. They're the ones who are being saved out of the perverse generation, so to speak. I'm I'm finding it. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just finding it hard to 
differentiate differentiate where you're, you're right. where you're drawing that line, right? But either way, I guess the point I'm trying to say between is between saved and repent, or between those that are being saved and the but, number that are really actually not yeah, being saved. But okay, well maybe ignore that point. But the point that I guess is more important is to say that the term saved, what they're being saved from, and I saved in general in the Tanakh is not something that right. we we normally see. As and really, parents. this language is being saved from the perverse generation. Reminds me more of Ezekiel, where the Ezekiel sees a vision where basically God comes in and he he marks off, uh, he has his angel mark off who's yeah. going to make it and who's not in the upcoming fight with Babylon or whatnot. So in this case, it feels more like those being saved are being saved out of the generation that's going to perish. In a sense, not necessarily physical salvation, but again, it's like it's not so much. I guess what I'm trying to get at is we we tend to spiritualize these things so much, save from my flesh, save from sin, save from hell, and I think it's it's almost like, but it's almost more like being saved out of a group. It's like they're the um, the elect, the chosen, whatever you want to use there. Right. Well. I don't want to use anything there until we've got something biblical to use. It's, it's kind of both. Yeshua-ized. <laughs> That's cool. Yeshua-ized. Now, um, to your point, and I haven't forgotten, to your point, um, in Exodus 14, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. He just went through that. But right? wouldn't that be kind of like repenting where it's only on an individual basis, whereas and the apostolic writings being saved is a, I wouldn't say a permanent thing, but it's... No, no, I get you. I'm just, I'd like to look at the Septuagint and see if it used Sozo for that. Because if it did, then then they're trying to... Sozo is the Greek? Sozo is the Greek for saved, yeah. Is it a different word, uh, saved? Is it Sozo? Yeah. But I was equating it more to delivered. Context. Okay. Like God delivered the well, yeah. Israelites out of the hands I, I of the think it, yeah. According to how Peter's phrasing things, though, it seems like it have to be a little bit of both because it's like, well, why are they getting delivered from that generation out of all of the other people? And it's because he says you need to repent and be, you know, washed of your sins. So it's like it's kind of both. It's like one leads to the other. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying that it's taken like, completely. I guess it's more the sense that, like, I guess, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. The, I'm just looking at some of the references in the apostolic writings up until that point. Um, saved does get used for um, a context of being saved from the perils at the end of time. They, if it, those days were not cut short, no, no one would have been saved. Um, it also is used for the woman who apparently, woman, um, uh, I think it's the woman who washes Yeshua's feet. Your faith has, are you, actually no, this is seven, chapter seven. This may be, uh, sorry, hang on. Um, yeah, yeah, that one, your faith has saved you. Um, right. So I guess maybe it could be, I guess just I think it seems to be that saved seems to be taken out of a group. It seems to be taken out of something, I guess. It's not just like, it's not a, um, it's not a label. It's more like um, an event that happens. It's more like it's, a, it's something that happens to you rather than being like, are you one of the saved? You know, it's like you've been saved out of something. Congratulations, you are being rescued. Definitely different than Greek. Well, when you put it that way, I immediately think of the Exodus, God bringing right. the Israel out. So, 
I, I don't know that there's a difference. If God is saving you physically, or God is saving you spiritually, I don't know that there's a difference. In one way or another, you're going to die unless he should save you. It's interesting, they did not use, in the Exodus passage, he saved that day, it's, uh, it's who am I? It's not so-so. So I'll look in the, I'll look in the Septuagint over the, over the course of the next week and see if I can give you some examples of that, if that was ever used, the same saving word uh, that, uh, that Luke chose to use. We'll see. Josh? Tying in all this saved part, if it is talking about added, if you should, if they were talking about adding to those who saved, is it possible that they were talking about 3,000 souls were added to the Lamb's Book of Life? Um, I, I think that's a great way of looking at it. And I think ultimately, once we, we get back to the Book of Revelation, surely you know, you're not saved if, you're, if your name's not written in that book. Um, it's interesting that the sages have a similar uh, take on the whole opening of the books on Rosh Hashanah and closing of the books on Yom Kippur and so forth. And, and you know, what's the, the traditional uh, greeting, right? You know, may you be inscribed, right? So it's good. I like it. Good. That was great, great comments, guys. I appreciate that. That was, that was good stuff. Um, what were they doing? What were these people, this number of people getting larger, it seems, by the day. What were they, what were they doing? They had uh, continually devoted themselves to four things. And I would wonder if, if you devote yourselves to that. Micah, give me one, please. The apostles' teaching. How would you describe the apostles' teaching at that time, in that day? What would you call the apostles' teaching? What, well, let me ask you this. What would the people in the church think it is today? Getting people to repent. Okay. What, what do you think they were teaching about? Getting people to repent? Assurance. What was that? What Yeshua did. I like that. Who he was. Anybody help him? Well, it's like accepting what he had done and who he was, where he comes. The from. person, understanding yeah. the person of Messiah and Yeshua. Okay. It's, Surely he wasn't there. Not like accepting him as their savior, but like just accepting. Why did God come and say? Well, I mean, like, if you if you understand idea. what the Torah says about what the Messiah is and mm -hmm. who he is and what he will do and so forth, and then you you're taught he's the guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's a good that. teaching. That's a good teaching. I, I want to make make clear, especially for those that um, are listening online, that devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, what could it absolutely, without question, not mean? Paul's writings. Paul's writings. Peter's writings. Joel James. Osteen, Joel Osteen's writings. Joel Osteen. <laughs> you know, anything, anything that's in the apostolic scriptures would not be, Right. You would not put Joel Osteen on the same level as the apostolic. <laughs> you know, it's tough, but yeah, we're not going to do that. So, in one word, what would you, how would you describe that teaching? Okay. Better word. Faith? Eh, 
I think Torah is on the right track, but it's not scripture. Give me the Hebrew word for that. The Torah is only in one part of it. What's the, what's the acronym? Tanakh. The Tanakh, right? Tanakh. Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. Right? Yeah. I mean, we, what else would they be teaching? If right? we use Peter's uh, just as sort of a model, okay. like yeah. what he just right. went through, it's Maybe. basically like what I had thought of when I was thinking of apostles' teachings. You can just picture the teachings kind of going like, Hey, you remember that prophet like unto Moshe? We know who that is. Hey, you remember like when it says this in Joel? We know who that is. Hey, you remember? Yeah, exactly. Like it's just like reinforcing all of the stuff you already know. We it's about somebody. That guy was here. That guy was here, and that's that's what we need to be. That's what we need to be following. Right. So they're not saying anything new necessarily. Correct. Exactly. But I think what I find different between. The study of the Torah today and the average concert B flat church that's got great coffee is that if you're talking to these people, they know about the Messiah. They know what he will do, what how he's described in the scriptures. Where you know, you talk to your normal people in the church and they don't have a clue. So if you said, Well, you know, he uh, he did this. You remember the, the prophet? No? The prophet that's going to be like Moses. What prophet? That makes it hard to talk about. Yeah. Um, first, I'll just quick reference. In Matthew, it does use to save people from their sins, referring to Yeshua, okay. and the prophecy about his name. Um, that's the only place that that phrase is used that I could find in my version. But the other is it Sozo? Um, I didn't have it on the Greek. But going back to the question here about the apostles' teaching, I think that um, to me it immediately reminds me of the. Jewish concept of having a disciple. You have someone who's teaching, you're right. studying and learning. Yeah, and the master I mean, teacher relationship. If you have that, uh, I mean, that's, you know, how many uh, famous sages have right teachings written down, not by them, but by their disciples. Their disciples memorized their sermons, Absolutely. wrote them down later. And, and still to this day do the same thing. Yeah, so the idea of the, the apostles' teaching, I think, is more than just. I don't think it's I don't think it's the idea of like they stood up and gave sermons. I think it's definitely more the idea of like this is it was their traditions, their halakha, if you want to use that term, I think it could be legitimately used here. Um, their understandings of, of Messiah, of prophecy, but but more than that. I mean it was like daily life. You know, they're <laughs> chit chatting about the Torah portion together. Exactly. But their but their continuing in their teachings is not the idea that like they were just doing what we're doing, we're, they were hanging out talking. They saw the disciples, the apostles, as authority figures. They saw them as the inheritors of Yeshua's leadership in that exactly. group. Yeah. And so they were li- they were not the, just the listening to them, they were following them. Right. That's good. Which is where the next pieces come in. Yeah. That, that all describes life, living right. with them. Right. Breaking yeah. bread, praying right. with them. Yeah, before we, before we go on to that, just a, a quick um, cool deal. You're right about that on the same thing. Um, but at the end of Matthew, 27. They say to him at the cross, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He saved others? Hmm. Well, I say that. And it's so dope. Thank you. Okay. It's just a great fuel for thought. And on the off Shabbats, great study material. Mm-hmm. Which All you right. can do from your home. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you gave me the Apostles' teaching. What was another one? Fellowship. fellowship. So fellowship seems to be important. So I think it's probably good that you drive 
here. Okay. Um, fellowship, I mean, it's hard to do that alone, right? Uh, another one could be community-based. Of the four that he lists out that they were doing, fellowship would be your community-based one. What's the, what else? Well, you got two more. Breaking bread. Mm, negative. Breaking bread. Breaking bread. It is so important to come together for meals, which is why we have Oneg right after the prayer service, so that we can do that together and so forth. And the wine prayers. We were the prayers, but I wouldn't say the wine, although the wine is always good. Um, yeah, and yeah, that is the uh, definite article. Mm -hmm. That is the second definite article. The first one was it was the place, and this one is the, the prayers. prayers. So uh, Acts was it 242, um, 247, something like that. Um, they were devoting themselves to the prayers. So um, I, I think it's important that. If you think that that was the Lord's Prayer he taught them, or the John 17 high prayer, priestly prayer, um, the prayers were a regular staple in the temple, and they were devoting themselves to those specific prayers, which fortunately have been brought down for us in the city. I, just to point out, like uh, that's one of the things that I, I really appreciate and feel very blessed to be a part of, is that I feel like our community has really modeled itself after this because most of the other churches that I can remember being a part of, even though there was youth groups and stuff like that, it wasn't frequent that you would be having meals a, a lot of times with those people. Right. It wasn't frequent that you were fellowshipping outside of church. And it wasn't frequent that you were outside praying of the together. Out, right, outside of the building. Yeah. Exactly. Because fellowship, I mean, I, I really feel like that is is more broadly encompassing Absolutely. of like being in each other's homes Absolutely. and always being together for like celebratory things. Yep. And I just feel like that is exactly how our community is. Like yeah, uh, this, sure. these are like all of my great friends that yeah. that I do all of these things with. That's right. That was fun. Windows? Windows? That was good. Uh, but the model there is a Jewish model. I mean, I think Absolutely. I remember, mm -hmm. I, had, I had remember reading this as a Christian even that mm. um and feeling that uh you know this was missing you know when, like mm. being excited about this idea and wanting to try to create it and finding it very difficult to do and then in, in a, in a non-jewish setting then yeah then i went to jerusalem yeah and lived there for a couple of years and even in a non-jewish christianized group you're just surrounded by the jewish culture friday nights is when you get together and yeah. you're hanging out at people's homes and you're spending time together Saturdays, you're getting together in someone's house to study Torah together, or you're going to meet someone's at home to pray together, or whatever else. It's the rhythms of life yeah. that are in the, the biblical Jewish culture that make this actually all hard not to do. Exactly right. And if, if you're coupling that regular rhythm with the biblical calendar, right. the lunar month, and the whole deal that way, I mean, it's just it's extraordinary. Very fulfilling and rich. And it's interesting to see how, like, the breaking of bread is something that's oftentimes missing in a lot of components. But that's, um, it gets, those types of references show up over and over again in the apostolic writings. And it makes so much sense in a Jewish culture because every holiday, every Shabbat, every whatever, we're eating. That's right. And if we look back in the gospel readings that we did of the Master, some of the most noteworthy things that we saw was revolving in some way around food. Whether it was the fact that 
they were going to the Burger King while he was left with the woman at the well, or that the, you know, the disciples were picking the heads of grain going across the field, or he was invited to a Pharisee's home for dinner. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff that's, that's happening d during that. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's finish up with... Uh, Acts 3 opening with him, with those guys going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. You, you think that there's a, I, I guess, I mean, I'm trying to try not to be flippant, but if there, it appears that there was an expectation on the part of these devout men that you would go up to the temple for prayer. And it was the hour of prayer. We know that there were several hours of prayer, um, primarily nine and three, or the uh, the third hour and the sixth hour, that kind of thing. Um, ninth hour. So I guess two questions. One is, at least as you read this and, and want to model your walk around what they were doing, do you find yourself compelled to pray those prayers? And if so, do you pray them at the hour? Is there an hour for prayer or a time for prayer that is regular and routine in your life at this time? We, um, we read the Shema before we eat dinner. Okay. As, uh, as a prayer to do daily. Okay. I like it. I like it. So these guys seem to be walking in a halakhic pattern that even after the master left, they continued. And I, I, I just think there's value there, and I think we'd have to question, if we don't do that, if that hour of prayer, you know, whether it's 3 p.m. or it's 9 a.m. or whatever it may be, if we're not doing that, why would, how would we excuse that? How would we not, how would we explain that we don't have that time of prayer. Which, by the way, was normally not alone. When I grew up, I was encouraged in, in, the, in the Methodist church to have a time of devotion. And I was always alone. These guys are going up to come together as a community for prayer. So, comments? sort of on this this topic was the uh, in addition to some of the other things we were reading when it talked about uh, in 46 in chapter 2 46 day by day attending in the temple but then this is one of the reasons why the halakha for blessings before eating and blessings after eating is so cool and exciting is that it says, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Mm. And I think that's really, that's a pretty neat reference because we already know, based on the Torah, that they were praising God after they ate. Correct. According to, to Deuteronomy I mean, 8.10. These, these are devout men. Exactly. But then, like, receiving their food, like, as if, like, this is the first thing they're doing is giving thanks, as we pointed out in our Halakhic class about Yeshua clearly set a precedent about blessing God before he ate. 
So I just think that's really cool because it is a time three times throughout the day when you mm-hmm. have your meals to just like take a moment. You know, it's not the prayers, but yeah. it's an, a moment to be thankful and to be glad and to kind of take that as, a, as a time to, to praise Hashem. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Rock. One thing I've noticed in the past couple months about my life is your relationship with someone is only as good as how much time you spend on it. Mm. And since I'm now driving into work, I have much less time every day than I did before when I wasn't driving right. to work every day. Right. So I've, I've been trying to be intentional about devoting time to the various people in my life that are important to me. And actually devote time to say, okay, I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think praying slots into that as well because it can't just be, you know, whenever or however long you decide to prayer or whatever you decide to do, but if you're not doing the morning prayers, you have to do some level of devotion or whatever with God because you have to, because that's a relationship. Mm-hmm. So. A purposeful right. move towards it. Good. Most of the people that I've talked to in the church would not want to visit the temple if, if it were operational. I mean, especially for those that are, uh, that are not familiar that might be listening along, along with us, the hour of prayer was initiated with what? The sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. So, if you're going up for the the hour of prayer, you're going up to participate, and or to observe and make sure that the sacrifice is being done. These are commands to make sure that it's done is done properly. Representatives from every tribe there, every time, every day. So, um, it it seems anathema. It seems it seems out of sorts for many in the church that they would want to go up to the temple for this. So I think I would ask you, what would you, what would you say to somebody who's a little confused on this point and thinks that animal sacrifice is abhorrent and uh, tramples on the blood of Christ? How would you, and wouldn't want to be participating in that? Or if they're a member of PETA and think it's horrible to kill animals or whatever it may be, what would you say? What would, what would be your your encouragement to them to go up to the temple, participate, pray with the people? What, what would what would you say? You'd have to start with whatever the biggest problem was. So if, if it was the trampling of the blood thing or if it was the animal thing. Okay, okay. And I think there's good arguments for, for why those things you mm-hmm. know, are not the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have to be prepared with that. So I, I think that's good. So you would, you would try and draw out from them why is this a bad thing right because i don't think you win any arguments by avoiding the thing that they have the problem with. so so walking in like like i would the bull in the china shop and saying well it says right here that they did it why wouldn't you do it you know <laughs> um that you don't think that would be effective no, okay so you start with the problem first then you actually talk to them about the about the process mm-hmm. and everything else that's help them get past the yeah, yeah 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 i like it or at least pre- present compelling evidence that they would cause them to think about it okay you could also take a look at the i mean the offerings were not all that about bad. forgiveness generally mm-hmm. i mean the idea behind the offerings was meeting with god and if you look at 
um, some of the most important moments with God uh, in the Tanakh, it was around offerings. I mean, how many people quote, my people are called by my name, we humble themselves, and that's a prayer from Solomon at the inauguration of the temple. Where on that day, they slaughtered so many animals, it was unbelievable. (laughs) And so it's like, I think that, but what was the experience? The experience was God physically came to meet them. His manifestation was there. And and I think that's the the key that you're going for here, is it's like, this is not about earning eternal favor with God. This is not about... (laughs) um, It's not about earning any favor with God. It's not, yeah, right, well, not that way, but yeah, but like, the idea is it's about meeting with God. Right. And... If you had the opportunity to meet with God right now in this life, not with the, you know, kind of thing, but actually like, oh my goodness, there's a fire from heaven burning, you know. It's like, who would turn that down? Exactly. That's good. That's a good argument. An orb of light that literally destroys your nice table. Yeah, that would, uh, would be tough. Other comments there? Good. I thought the Jews' first comment is another one that we've seen that I think Joshua brought up where Paul didn't make it up. We read several times in Paul's writings that he's talking about to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And, you know, they they have first, they were first, this and that. And Peter alludes to God having sent Yeshua to the Jews first to bless them. He sent Yeshua to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So, those who are being saved surely are being turned from their wickedness, which I think is consistent with the Master's one word sermon throughout his ministry, which was? Repent. Repent. Hard to see the light if it's under a bushel. Right. That's exactly right. Hard to see the light if it's under a bushel. Let it shine. That's it. Let it shine. But when, you know, we have to question, halakhically, how do you let it shine? How do you practice your faith? And that's the whole idea of us coming together on this. So, Good, uh, good comments. I appreciate you guys very much, um, Mr. Martin. Can you just uh, bless God for us for this time, and bless these young men and uh, our time, and uh, close us out? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the words that uh, you've preserved for us that we get to have, have the privilege of coming together and, and uh, discussing and, and learning. Uh, Father, we thank you for the hearts of uh, all these men, including the young men, uh, who want to be here uh, for that very purpose. We pray, Father, you would bless us now as we uh, go home to our families, bless us with a productive rest of our weeks, uh, bless Joseph for the time that he puts in, in uh, preparing the questions and the thought-provoking uh, material uh, for us to go through and for us to walk through in these uh, Tuesday nights. And we thank you, Father, for the object of what we're studying. We thank you for Yeshua, our Messiah. His strong and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir.